What's up, Daw Nation? My name is Wyatt Troy, and I want to welcome you to episode 45 of Behind the Daw, where we interview music producers, artists, music industry experts, and people of that nature on an emotional, philosophical, artistic, and music business basis. This is a companion podcast, by the way, to our YouTube series, In the Daw, where we invite music producers to come and dissect their songs in real time. We've had people like Pegboard Nerds, Fox Stevenson, AU5, Mode Step, Kuro, Tynan, culprit and a whole bunch of others the list keeps on growing so if you're interested in that check that out on multiplier's youtube channel also there's a link in the description also if you just want to listen to them they are the 0.5 episodes in this podcast but who are we interviewing today today we're interviewing curtis king he's a rapper producer video editor author graphic designer husband and father he has a 129k subscriber youtube channel called curtis king tv where he gives tips and tricks to rappers music producers and people within the music industry and he he has credits that include Kendrick Lamar, Absol, Zed's Dead, Loud Pack, E40, MERS, and a whole bunch of others. Today you're going to learn why electronic music and hip-hop are kind of separated from each other. We never kind of put them in the same category, even though they're kind of the same thing. It's all in a DAW. We all use samples. We all use synths. It's all kind of the same thing, but they are distinctly separate from each other. Why? We're going to get into that. We're also going to talk about one of the greatest lies ever told in hip-hop, which is also one of the greatest lies ever told in the music industry and kind of humanity at large. We're also going to get into why having a lack of freedom in the music industry is one of the worst things you can ever do to your creativity. And finally, we're going to go over what were some of the skills that Curtis had to learn in order to score all of those credits that I just mentioned. And Daw Nation, we're going to get into all of this in depth when we get back from thanking our sponsor. Daw Nation, imagine if you could join the live streams with the producers, artists, and music industry experts that we have on the show. Imagine if you could ask your own questions to these guests. Imagine if you could learn from them in real time before the episode ever comes out. Now imagine all of this costing less than half of what you spend a month on Netflix. Well, Daw Nation, what I just described actually exists. This episode is sponsored by the In The Daw and Behind The Daw Patreon. For only $5 a month, you can get access to our private Discord community where we do the live streams of our interviews. You're able to come on, watch the interview, ask your questions, interact with the guest, and we always pick someone from our Patreon to join the Zoom call. Not just the live stream, but the actual Zoom call where you get to meet the guest face to face. If you want to take a huge step forward in your music career, then check out the In The Daw and Behind The Daw Patreon at patreon.com slash in the D-A-W-W-W. That's patreon.com slash in the D-A-W-W-W. There's also links in the description for the Patreon. If you have any questions about this, you can email me at wyatt at behindthedaw.net or you can DM me on Facebook or Instagram. But Daw Nation, let's get into this week's interview. I want to welcome everyone to this episode of Behind the Daw. We're absolutely honored. We're blessed. I don't know what we did in this world to be able to deserve this, but we have the one and only Curtis King from Curtis King TV, CurtisKingBeats.com. Curtis, say what's up to Daw Nation and tell us something extremely embarrassing about yourself. What's going on, Daw Nation? This is Curtis King and something very embarrassing about myself. Anybody who's been around me long enough, they know that I have this 
ridiculous eye twitch. This eye twitch that looks like I am either on the best drugs or I spend too much time in front of computers and laptops and cell phones. And I, I assure you that it is, that's the, it's the second one. It, it's embarrassing because sometimes I'll be, you know, and stress sometimes definitely contributes to it, but I'll be on the freeway or streets. And then if somebody sees me in a fit of, <laughs> in an anxiety fit, they'll look at me and say, oh, that, that man's tweaking. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I assure you I'm not. I'm just, I'm just having an episode where, you know, I don't have any control over my, my eyes and my eyebrows, but that's probably the only thing embarrassing. Other than that, I, I got an ugly finger. So my career of being like a hand model is pretty much done. <laughs> Do you have like Megan Fox thumbs? You know what I'm talking about? Well, no, not even, not even, no, she got the baby thumb. I, I'm, I'm, I have this finger that it ironically is my ring finger that is just, I was playing basketball in middle school and I, I went up for a layup. I fell on the ground. We were playing, you know, on concrete courts in middle school and a rock got underneath my, uh, my nail. Thanks to the great LAUSD nurses at that school who didn't do much work at all to my finger. Um, <laughs> it got infected and the nail to this day is just like, if I ever go to like a manicurist, like I've been once or twice in my life and they've been like, uh, what do you want me to do with that nail? I'm like, I don't know. It's, you're the professional because I don't know what to do with it myself and it's with me every day. Yeah, that was probably the most embarrassing thing. Other than that, I one that has done a lot of self-deprecating humor in the past. So people know pretty much it's it's been all out there on the table. <laughs> That's good, man. That's good. I'm glad you got a good attitude about it. So good for you, man. So let's get into some really deep questions. All right. They're kind of memeish, kind of funny questions, but I promise they're going to get you there. All right. Okay. So first question I got for you is, so do gingerbread people actually just live in a house that's made of their own flesh? It's, it can either be that they're living in a, in a bread house, they're leaving, living in a gingerbread house of their own flesh or that they're one with their home. Dude. I like that, I like that one. I, that, that makes yeah, me that's, warm. I feel that's, warm inside. Yeah, that's much less dark. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Let's say that, you know, woman's having a baby, head pops out at 11.59 p.m., but then the rest of the baby isn't born until 12 a.m. Does that mean that the baby's head has a different birthday than the baby's body? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's absolutely. no question. About, you didn't even flinch with that. That was fast. Yeah, yeah I'm mean, absolutely. The, the head is just now, it's now at a, at a uh, disadvantage for the rest of his life. I'm sorry, son. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, sorry son. son. You should have got this thing under, under control. <laughs> That's good. That was good. You didn't flinch. That was good. <laughs> all right. All right. So you got those two. Now I got the really, really, really deep one. So this one is like, if you don't even take time to think about this, you'll have all the respect I've ever had for anyone in the world. So are you familiar with the infinite reality theory. No. So the infinite reality theory states that there is an infinite amount of realities, alternative realities out there. So for example, there's a reality out there where I'm Curtis King and you're Wyatt Christensen mm. and you run behind the door. You see what I'm saying? And there's also a reality out there where you're still Curtis King, but I'm Wyatt Christensen, but I have two heads. You know what I mean? It's just like there's an uh, infinite amount of is it, is that realities. Sort of, is that sort of like the Shelbyville Bart Simpson? Exactly. <laughs> exactly no, what it is. I'm playing, but no, that, that sounds very interesting. Okay. It states, like we just said, that there's an infinite amount of different realities that exist. But, Curtis, if that is true, then technically there has to be an alternative reality out there that doesn't have the infinite reality theory. So it's the only reality inside of its own reality according to the infinite reality theory. Is that true? If it's true, I feel like it might be true for 
every single one of those realities because it it, it, it is someone's reality, right? They they only they only they only exist within that that frame of time. They only exist within that particular reality. If that is indeed their reality, everyone feels that 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 is the only one that exists. I'm not sure if that addresses the question, but is there, okay, one more time, what was the question? One more time. Infinite amount of realities. But if that's true, then there has to be a reality out there somewhere where it doesn't have infinite realities. Yeah, that, that one's, that's a, that's a hefty one. I'd have to like really <laughs> sit down with that one because, uh, that's yeah, this is my first time being exposed to it. I, yeah, I, <laughs> that's a, that's a heavy one. That's a heavy one for the morning. <laughs> I'm so sorry for exposing it's you okay. to this burly question. It's okay. It's okay. Now I got something to, I'm going to have another rabbit hole to go into. Thank, I'm coming. Sweet, you too. I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful, man. So with those questions out of the way, do you feel like you're in a much deeper mindset now? Absolutely. The question that actually apply to music and to music producers, rappers, and all that kind of stuff. So first off, let's state this. So Curtis King, he is very into the hip hop rapper community. Is that a correct statement? Yeah, I'm into the music community even more so now than ever, just in general, just anybody who wants to be an online, pretty much independent business through the means of creating music. What I, where I'm getting at with that is, but you do have a ton of experience in the hip hop and the rap field, where most of the people that I've had on the show, including myself, we've all had extreme experience inside the EDM realm. Well, this is, this is the question I want to bring up to you, because this is something I've been grappling with for a while, is that I'm kind of wondering why electronic music as a whole has kind of it kind of in a way separated itself from hip hop because technically hip hop is electronic music, right? right? We're all in a DAW. We're all using samples and synths and stuff like that. So well, let me ask you that. Why is that? Why, why is electronic music and hip hop kind of just kind of separated from each other in a way? It's a few different things, right? I, I think that when it comes to sometimes we can be, you know, we can, we can exclude a lot of sort of subcultures, even, I mean, I think hip hop now is a lot more open than it's ever been, but I think that in the past they've been, they've shut off different genres of music, right? You, you don't really, unless you're Nelly, you don't really get too many hip hop artists that are fans of country music, right? You don't really get artists that are, that are fans of other genres because they associate those with being a quote unquote, and I can't stand people put a race to it, but like this, this is a white genre. EDM is not a, it's not a, a black genre, or they'll say that, you know, you know, hip hop is this, and, and this is what speaks to me. The, the crazy thing about it is that when folks say that, and it's generally, you know, folks in the hip hop community who make those separations, they don't understand that even EDM has its roots in Detroit. Those were different races that were there that were doing it. it was, some folks were black. They have news clips on YouTube that show you the forefathers of EDM transitioned to. So I think it's, there, there's a racial, there's sort of that layer on top of it. But then also too, I just think that there are two different ways of making music. I've had the experience to be on both ends as a producer, in hip hop, you know, there's a certain way that we make music, right? There's a certain way that we come together in sessions. Now, through my work with Nightmare, my work with um, Loud Pack, I mean, when, when they were together, I've, I've been able to see how they create music specifically within Logic and how that differs from FL Studio. And really my bridge was this dude, Kenny Beats, who, you know, had his start in hip hop. So I've been able to see, okay, culturally, 
in the studios, like guys are still, you know, in there with this equipment and they, and they know what they're using and they know what they're doing. But I just think that there's cultural differences in terms of who are the leaders in these genres. And it's unfortunate, but I think that that bridge is being, it's being more and more, people are walking back and forth on that bridge a lot more. So there shouldn't be that separation, but that's my long-winded version of that. But I, I look at it like, like I've been a part of some of the biggest EDM trap songs and people had no idea that I was a part of it. And I feel like me being a part of it, it's like hip hop being a part of it. So I, there's a song uh, by Zed's Dead and um, and Lau Pack called Flies. Uh, they dropping like flies. That's my voice. And and there's like all these different, yeah, there's all these different songs that are out there. People have no idea those are my vo- my vocals over the top of them. I mean, that just came from just how, how wide ranging both of those genres are. But people don't know, like I'm a huge fan of the stuff Lau Pack has done, Nightmare. There's a few different people that I've really get, given, given my ear to just because like, like I said, at the end of the day, music is music. I don't, the cultural divides that people try to put on music. I just feel like, look, if you're making music and it makes people feel something, we're in the same game. We're all producers. We're all musicians, right? We're all, we're all producing inside of the DAW, so on and so forth. And, but when it comes to, when it comes to the hip hop guys, if you really look at it objectively, hip hop and EDM, they're, basically the same thing with minor details missing right Right. where edm mostly has a singer or like just a one vocalist where hip-hop usually has a rapper but of course there's crossover on both of those both of them can have a singer and a rapper you know what i mean there's just like there's little minor details but if i've had the experience before where i've met other producers i'm like that's awesome what kind of music do you produce and i'll say hip-hop and i'll say edm and immediately they get that look on their face like "Uh," you know like like kind of like i'm the awkward cousin you know what i mean like oh come on man but but you know what too i mean not to make like there there are a couple of different ways to look at it too here's another part of it that i didn't experience with that is that there are some people within hip-hop that feel like certain sub-genres of edm trap you know like they they literally because there's not that many differences some people look at kind of like as culture vulturing Right. They, they look at it like 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 some of these folks have took this this trap genre that is based within Atlanta, that is based within the South. And they're taking it to all these different festivals, but they're not people that have direct connections, at least not public direct connections to the culture. So I think some people look at it and say, OK, that's, you know, the, the same way that a lot of the EDM DJs look at these corporations sometimes that try to take what they built, you know, in, in their very humble beginnings and, and turning into a movie, right? And they're like, I don't want this to be a movie. Like, this, this is like the kind of movie that they're going to make, like a Disney-type movie. Like, they don't want it to be commercialized because it's their art and it's like, it's very authentic to them. I think there's a lot of hip-hop dudes that feel that way too. Like, how can you have an EDM trap and literally the only thing that you're changing is the way that you manipulate the 808s, you're changing you know, uh, sort of some of the BPMs that you're messing around with and you have more drops. And I think they're looking at that like, uh, like that's, that's, that's our thing. How can we not be included in that? There's a lot of folks that feel that way. I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Is that I just, look, it, it's music is music and it's all good to me. Curtis here, he has credits from like Kendrick Lamar, Absol, Murs, E-40, bunch of other people. So, you know, with you working with these, and, and, and including, you know, on the EDM side, as you mentioned, you know, you had a, a Loud Pack and Nightmare and uh, I'm sure... Zed's dead. Zed's dead. Yeah, exactly. A bunch of others. So, you know, these are very higher up people in the industry, so to say. So if you could attribute one skill that you have that helps you land those gigs, land those opportunities, what skill would you attribute that to? It'd have to be a combination, a combination of 
communication skills, a combination of listening skills and a combination of accessibility, right? The, the, the skill of being accessible and, and, and flexible as well, flexibility. So flexibility, accessibility, listening and communication skills are the most important thing that I contributed to. And notice none of those had to do with music, right? You know, obviously music does play a part in it, but if you're not able to be in these studio sessions, if you're not able to change something at two o'clock in the morning, you know, back when I was on that grind, these opportunities are going to go to someone else. And so if you're not able to express when an artist is in a situation where they have a vision, but they can't express it, they're an artist and they can't express it in the same way that a producer would understand. I had to, as a rapper and a producer, be able to say, okay, what he's saying is this, but what he means is this. Okay. I can, I can make that, I can, I can make that come, come, uh, come to fruition. So uh, I think those are the most important things, but you know, honestly, I think that if I had to zero it down to one skill, it would definitely be uh, just the ability to listen. Because I think that if, you, if you're hearing with always like subtle nuances or subtle undertones of other things that they actually want and they're giving you hints. And if you listen, uh, you know what to do, whether it's through music, whether it's through how you operate business, whatever it is, you'll, you'll know what to do. I remember hearing this one time that, you know, we have one mouth and two ears for a reason. We're it, supposed to listen at least twice as much. <laughs> and I'm working on it myself. Like, I don't want anybody to get the idea that I'm just like this perfect listener. I am, I am a, 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 a above average listener, but at the same time, there's so much more because I get so excited. Like when there's a topic that I love that I'm, I'm passionate about, it takes everything in me not to cut off the other person. And it's not to be rude. It's just that I, w- I don't want to forget because I have, you know, sort of that, uh, that, that, that goldfish memory. <laughs> I don't even know if that's true anymore, that goldfish, I have, but I have sort of that, that stereotype of a goldfish memory where, I, I get so excited and that's something I'm trying to really uh, hone down and control on so that I can, I can be better focused about, you know, how I operate things, but no, being a listener, good gosh, you have to, you have to have oh, that dude. arsenal, no matter what you do. In your YouTube cover video, you mentioned that, you know, when you were talking about the music industry, there are things that you love and there's things that you hate about the music industry. So tell me, what are some of the things that you hate about the music industry? The things that I hated about the music industry, let me just say this first. I love the fact that I was able to work with so many talented individuals. I was grateful to be able to have my music be chosen for all these different opportunities. But the thing that I dislike was the fact that I didn't have control over my art, right? I didn't have control over where my art went. I didn't have control over when I got paid. I didn't have control over, I felt like I was working a job again, right? I've worked at, I used to work at Quiznos. Quiznos for four years. And it's funny, I always say like I did time, but it was really, that was my first job and I'm thankful for it. But there were so many things done by the owner there that just made me like, I never want a job again. And I only had one job after that, uh, thankfully. But some of the things were the fact that, and this is going to correlate back to your question, but some of the things were like, he would turn off the AC in the middle of the summer to save money. I revisited a lot of those same feelings of, man, I I could, I could be running this myself. Like, why am I working for this guy who doesn't really know the, the things that he's supposed to be in control of? And he doesn't, doesn't have great leadership skills. And then what I learned was that that same thing applies to the music business. I got in the music business and I met so many people that were in higher positions, but from a, a, a standpoint of, I don't want to say just intelligence, but just how, doing things professionally, it was not as existent as I thought it would be. And so I met a lot of people that I was like, I, I'm, I mean, not to be so arrogant, I'm not trying to be arrogant about this, but I am smarter than the people in this room and I am asking them for opportunities. I'm, be- I'm like almost begging them to say yes to something. Why am I not the one in a position 
position of power. And then the question, whenever I asked it in the public sense in the industry was, oh, you got to pay your dues. You got to pay your dues. And, you know, you got to make your, basically what that means is you got to make your investments. The question is, when do those investments pay off? The question is, when do investments become like in any other business, good investments and bad investments, right? Nobody talks about that. Everything is paying dues, even when it's a bad or paying dues, paying dues. And then people get stuck this wheel of paying dues and they end up, you know, starting at 22 and then they look up and then 34 comes around and they still don't have what they want, but they're being told, man, keep going. You know, you could be that next overnight success and, you know, just keep going. And it's like that whole time that passed by, you could have been building your your own situation. You could have been building your own self, your own business independently. That was one of the things that I hated was that I, I didn't have control over my business. And then also too, as a man, I wasn't in a position because I wasn't making a whole lot of money to say no. And no is, is your biggest power. Being able to say no is such a, a powerful thing you know, especially when you don't want to work with someone or you, you feel like, man, I don't want to say no to this because I need this money. That's a terrible situation to be in as a, as a musician, as a artist, as a producer. You never want to be in that situation. I found myself there far too frequently. I looked up and, and I realized, you know what? I, I have all of these credits. I even had, you know, one of the biggest hip hop publications at the time, Hip Hop DX, say I had one of the top 25 albums of, of the year and it just wasn't enough. I hadn't even got to the pinnacle of where I know I could have been. It it wouldn't have been enough is what I, what basically what it was. So then when I moved away from the industry, instead of pursuing fame, instead of pursuing popularity, I pursued independence and I pursued fulfillment and happiness. Those two don't sound like they go together, not fulfillment and happiness, but uh, uh, fulfillment, happiness, and, you know, uh, independent success don't sound like they go together, but they very much well found their way with me. That's what sort of brought the YouTube channel along. That's what brought CurtisKingBeats.com along because now I was able to tell these, these industry studios and situations, no, I'm not coming to drive to your studio hour and a half away, you know, to basically be toured around with and have my time wasted. My time is valuable. I have a business at home that needs me to tend to it. Now I have a family on top of that. So I think just my freedom, man, my freedom is what I, my lack of freedom within the industry is what I didn't like the most. So I remember when I was, you know, when I was taking online courses about the music industry and they were extremely dated, extremely dated because they were still preaching like the record label thing. They're still saying in order for you to make it, you have to get a record label so on and so forth like it didn't set well with me then and here we are 10 years later and i'm and i'm even more convinced of that now that we live in an age where it's like freedom to grow in the music industry should not be a commodity it should be an essentially ingredient yes. into a lively career. I mean, do you, you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're hammering home, which is really the, the bigger thing that we're both saying is that the music industry doesn't really breed leaders. They breed folks that know how to listen and know how know their place. A&Rs, I don't care who, what position it is, somebody else has a bigger position, whether they're the owner of multiple labels because underneath of an umbrella or no matter what that title is, somebody has to answer to someone or some, some people, some investors. It doesn't breed leaders, especially when you are, when you are making art, you are looked upon as sort of like the, the I don't want to say the bottom of the totem pole, but you're not a big priority because they look at you like you can be replaced. You know, another article has kind of, kind of been debunked by a lot of people. And, and they said that it was not as accurate as, as they put it out there. But the Citigroup uh, report that said that musicians only made up 12 percent 
of the people basically uh, uh, bringing in income in the music industry, right? They only made 12% of what the income, okay, I'm just going to rephrase that. They basically said that the musicians, engineers, everybody, engineers, singers, you know, rappers, uh, whatever, only brought home 12% of the total income that was generated by the music industry. That was how it was basically presented. That lets you know, look, there are people in power that are saying, hey, come build this house up, build it up with your own hands. You know, it takes your art, build up the house. But when it's all said and done, mm, we'll let you stay in this bathroom. That's not a knock to the industry because at the end of the day, I'm not, I've never been anti-industry. It's a business and it's a business. And if you don't know that, that you are on the other end of that deal, if you don't know what end of the deal that you're on, that's nobody's responsibility, but your own. And, And there's a lot of people who get in here young and impressionable and wet behind the ears and want everything to be like their favorite rapper's story was. And they come to realize like, and I know you've met them too. There's been 22 year olds. I'm 34 now. It's been 22 year olds that look older than me because of how stressed they are in this industry. <laughs> Take a drive to LA, guys. You'll oh know exactly what we're talking gosh. about. Yeah, lost. And, and, and that's another reason why I had to move out of LA. People are like, man, you're at the epicenter of the music industry. But I'm like, no, I live in San Diego. Why do you live two hours away? Why don't you move closer? It's more expensive out there. And on top of that, there's, there's more distractions. There's a lot of people there that are in this mindset that they're in competition with one another. And no matter what, walk of life it is. And it's kind of like the social media era too, where everybody feels like they're in competition with everybody's Instagrams and everybody's highlights. And it's just this, this ongoing thing where, you know, I, I found myself going to these pop-up shops or these, these events in LA to basically rub shoulders with the people that are influ- influential. And I'm like, why am I not at home building something influential, right? Why am I here around them trying to get them to take pictures with me? And, you know, I, I had a PR at the time that was telling me this is good. And she was right. This is good for business to do this. But then I was like, well, why? This person had to build something on their own at some point in time. They didn't have to come to these mixers to do that, right? We're going about this all wrong. And so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of folks out there, man, that when the camera comes on, I don't know how they do it, whether it's makeup, but those bags disappear. But when you see them, they look smoked out. They look strung out. They look tired. They look malnutrition and they don't even realize it. That's the scariest part, man. They don't even realize it because they're in the midst of all of that. And that's a normal thing. It's like, well, you are here really working. And that's the culture. Like you're working if you're looking stressed out. I got away from that and, and realized when I got some clarity that that's not the only way to find success. I think it's important to note, going along with exactly what you're saying, mm-hmm. is that there has been a bunch of people I've talked to, not only on the podcast, but you know, outside just in, in general conversation. You know, when it comes to people do have their gripes with the music industry and they all put the blame, it's just the business side of it. And so what the, the problem with that is is that there's a lot of businesses out there that actually thrive, that actually, you know, there's a lot of businesses model business models out there that right. actually like would be amazing for the artist and let him grow and let him do it. So it's not necessarily just business in the music industry is inherently bad. It's just that a lot of people in the music industry has made business inherently bad because there has been people on the podcast that I've talked to and I'm just like, you know, they've been music business industry experts and I'm just like, dude, you know what's going on. Like you actually understand and they're they're thriving. They're doing great. And then there's other people that I've talked to in the industry and I'm just like, yeah, man, what? (laughs) Like... (laughs) Like, and at some like, point, I don't come- artists have to take responsibility. Like the, the folks that are that are on the receiving end, like they, they mm-hmm. kind of like 
take on that victim title, they have to at some point take responsibility for saying yes, right? Because somebody had to tell me, it wasn't anybody's choice for you to be a rapper except for yours. Nobody made you be a rapper, right? Like I had had that same manager that I told you that was brilliant. He told me, he said, if you're looking for professionalism, Curtis, you're in the wrong business. Why are you wanting people to be professional? And he was very, he's very professional, right? But he was like, if you're looking for professionalism, you're in the wrong business. And I was like, whoa, he was saying it kind of tongue in cheek, but it was a lot of truth in it. And I, and here I am wanting this business to be something that it's not. And not to say that it can't be more professional in the future and, and, and not to say there's not factions of it that are very professional. There had to be some level of accountability on my own end to say, you know what? It's not the music industry's fault that I went through hell within the music industry. It's my fault for one, not being well-versed on the business as I should have been. And then secondly, for wanting it so bad and not understanding the nature of what it exactly is that I wanted, right? That there was things that I wanted that were very surface level. Leading into the music business tip, it like I'm, I'm a little reluctant to talk about the music business tip just because of no, what we've been talking about. Yeah, but but people, I think, I think it'll be good. We're in this too. There's people who are still want, wanting to be a part of this and I feel a certain response responsibility within my YouTube, and I'm sure you feel it within your podcast, that there are people who are like, you know what? I hear what you guys are saying, but I still want to go into this. Help me prepare even more. So then I feel a certain responsibility that says, look, I have responsibility for telling you what the truth is, or at least my truth, I should say, and many others been around me. I have a responsibility to telling you that and exposing you to it. Now that you say you still want this, okay, let me tell you how to protect yourself as you maneuver exactly. through the business. That's the stance that I take as well, especially doing like social media marketing consultations mm-hmm. is that is that I'm like, hey, I want you to understand, and you said it best yourself, that social media is a drug. It is. You know, (laughs) if you are not careful, it'll wrap you up and it'll destroy everything around you. But if you know how to use it correctly, then it's going to be very, very powerful for you. And so that's actually leading into the music business tip because it does have to do with social media marketing. And so a lot of people that are going to be listening to this and a lot of your fans as well, you know, they're still, they're up and coming, the producers or the rappers or singers or whatever. And they're trying to get, they're trying to use social media to help them grow, which is absolutely amazing. Again, if you do it properly, if you use it the right way, it's an incredible resource. You kidding me to be able to pick up your phone and connect with almost anyone anywhere in the entire world. It's absolutely incredible. Keep that in mind, guys. As I'm giving you this music business tip for this week, it is a, it is a, a little trick that I found out that is absolutely amazing. So people that are like Curtis King that have over 10,000 followers on Instagram don't have to worry about this, but you can definitely share this with your fans because this is this is really, really powerful. But it, it has to do with the swipe up function. Do you ever use the swipe up function, Curtis? All the time, all the time. It's just amazing. It's amazing. So the only way to get it on Instagram, we've talked about this on the podcast before, is if you have over 10,000 followers or you become a verified account. If you don't do either of those, you can't do it unless unless you do it like this. If you put anything on IGTV, so let's say if you make a song and you make a little video to put up on IGTV, that's great. What you can do is you can actually go into your stories and connect your story that you're posting to your IGTV video that you put up. And then it unlocks a swipe up function so that you know, they can swipe up and it'll take it to the IGTV video. The cool thing about IGTV is that you can put as many links and whatever you want in the description of that IGTV. So if they go there and you maybe it's like a 30 second preview of your song or whatever, you say, hey, you know, they're looking at your stories. Hey, swipe up and check this out. It takes them to IGTV and you have a little thing in the video that says if you want to listen to the full song, link in the description. Go ahead and just click on that. Click on that. It takes them to the song. Bam. It's a way to get around that and tell you have 10,000 followers. What do you think about that, Curtis? I think that's, that's 
that's great. I, I, they should be very thankful for folks like you that find those hidden tricks because uh, that, that's mm. that's very crucial to be able to send that traffic that you're building on these social medias to your digital real estate. Donation. Nation, there is so much more to come in this interview, and we're going to keep soaking up all this wisdom when we get back from thanking our sponsors. Donation. Nation, if you struggle with any of the intricacies of electronic music production, you know things like composing a melody, sound design, arrangement, sequencing, or even just fully understanding how to utilize your DAW to properly translate the story and feelings that you feel inside of your heart and mind. If this is you, then I would highly encourage you to consider taking a private lesson from InTheDAW.net. The rates are extremely affordable, the scheduling is insanely flexible, and the knowledge that you gain in these lessons is so personal and so deep that it's honestly priceless. These lessons are all done through a Zoom call, so you can be anywhere in the entire world. In fact, you don't even have to turn your camera on if you don't want to. All you have to do is show up, ask your questions, and you get my personal guarantee that the private lesson will not end until we answer all the questions that you bring to the table. If this sounds like something you need to really help progress on your musical journey, then head over to inthedaw.net and click on the private lessons tab. There is also a link in the description that will take you to the private lessons page. But again, that is the private lessons tab on inthedaw.net. Kind of bringing it back to more of the conversation now that we're done with the music business tip. So let me ask you this. You know, you put out a book, The Prosperous Hip Hop Producer. Yes. I haven't read it myself because I literally just found out about it a couple days ago, <laughs> but I am going to. I promise you, I will read it. I will read it vigorously. Tell me about it. You know, if we could get a little teaser for the book, you know, not giving too much information, kind of a little sure. teaser to get people to go get it. You know, what makes a prosperous producer just in general? I think understanding what where your value is. And I think that if you think about most producers when they say, where in life are you prosperous? Where are you wealthy? Where are you the most rich? And most of them will say, you know, well, if I can't say money, then I have to say my music is where I'm most rich. And although that may be partly true, the story is a semi-autobiographical book that takes you through my journey from very humble beginnings on the PlayStation making beats in my grandmother's patio to uh, building up a six-figure business in CurtisKingBeats.com. And it takes you through a lot of those journeys that I spoke about specifically within the music industry. When I worked with TDE very closely in their earlier years, and it takes you all throughout these different stories of, you know, me being a part of evictions and really hitting some of my lowest points in life. And it takes you through that. And then every chapter at the end, it gives you these bullet point lessons to learn from it. And the book is, is, is very fun. And, you know, I'm very grateful for uh, Maurice Bassett Publishing for reaching out to me because they did. They reached out to me after they did a YouTube video about the biggest lie in hip hop. Basically, the, the premise of the video is that in hip hop, we have been taught that to teach is a an attribute or is what people do when they don't have a career left, right? You go teaching, you become a teacher, you become, you know, when you start trying to teach the game, that means that you, you know, I, I forget the quote, but I don't like the quote that says, you know, people teach when they can't do or something to that degree. And I think that's been a lot of the, the mindset and the culture. And so when I started teaching the things that I learned in the industry on my YouTube channel, a lot of people were going against that. My journey took me and made me understand that no matter how much success you have as a producer, no matter how much money you make, because I still generated a lot of income in the, in, the, in the years before I got to this lesson, until you understand that the secret to living is giving, I got that from Tony Robbins, the secret to living is giving, you will not have a, a, a happy and fulfilled life. And so that book takes you through my journey and, and, and it show, tells you a prosperous producer is 
wealthy way before the money comes, way before the placements come. The, the prosperous producer, it, it starts internally. You know, it, it starts with seeking and being grateful for the abundance that is already in your life and, and being able to look at what you have and saying, oh, you know what? It may not be where I ultimately want to be, but this is this is amazing and I'm thankful that I have it. So that to me is the prosperous hip hop producer. When you were talking about the greatest lie ever told in hip hop, so the greatest lie is teaching is is a cop-out is is not complete fulfillment right is that is that what you were saying so so basically the video that i made the biggest line hip-hop it came after i read a book by uh bob berg and john david mann called the go-giver and um that book it changed a lot for me because it, it wasn't that i was a very selfish individual it was just that i was a part of this culture that it was, you know, it was supposed to be doggy dog, you know, every man, every man for himself. And this book taught me that it was the complete opposite to find success, that the people who are the most successful are literally, I mean, beyond just music, the people who have given the most are the most successful and not just to your immediate circle, right? The, the people that continue to, to give. And, and I thought that to give value meant to just give money. And I was like, well, I don't have the money to just be given around like that. And it was like, no, 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 no. Your value is your knowledge, your information. Sometimes it is your money, but it's many different things that people find valuable. And it was an example, you know, once it started kind of getting deep into my brain where I thought about, huh, when I was 12 years old, there was these pair of Griffies that were like, they were like probably retail $125, but it were way more, much more money than I had at the, at the time as a child. When I grew up, I found those Griffies in my size, right? King Griffey Jr. was a baseball player. People don't know, but uh, one of the most legendary, King Griffey Jr. And, and, and I found those shoes when I was older in my size and I could afford to buy five and six pairs. And I found a pair and it was like really hard to find them, but I found them and they were like 300 or $400 and I bought them, right? And, and, and the question becomes, well, what, what the heck? What, what, what do you want? To me, the value of, of being able to tap into that child, right? That child, that desire to have these, to have those in my possession, that was the value to me. Had nothing to do with money. That was value to me. So the same thing correlates to my YouTube channel in that it may not be valuable to me to read to read a, a an article or to watch a video about how to start up a an email list on MailChimp, right? That's not very valuable because I know how to do that. I've been doing that for years. But for somebody who doesn't know anything about email lists, that is the most valuable video that he'll watch in, or he or she will watch in, in that day. So that whole I definition and idea of value started to really, really uh, build into my mindset. And I realized, man, the biggest lie in hip hop, we keep selling it to each other is that it's all about getting it for yourself. You got to go out there and get it. You know, don't, don't worry about, you know, giving to one another. The biggest lie is that, that it's, it's all about you and it's not, you know, and so I tried to debunk that and the, the authors of that book reached out to me and said the video made him cry. And then the publisher came to me and said, I believe that you have a book inside of you. And I was like, man, I, I, I don't know if I'm ready. At the time I was probably about 31, 32, 34 now, but it, it, it was the time I was like, I don't think not yet, like maybe in 10 years. And two years later, after they reached out to me, the book was done. And um, now, you know, I, I, I'll announce it here first, but uh, you know, I finally got into a Barnes and Noble locally. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I literally just found out this information this morning that they they okayed it and, and they're putting it up. Not only is that the greatest lie in hip hop, that's the greatest lie in the music industry, in mm. life, in our human history. You're right. absolutely right. It's not mind, 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 take, take, take. It's it's what can you give? 
at the end of the day, what can you give? What can you do to make the world a better place than when you got here? That and, 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 and not to make it like it's so like, you know, holier than than that. I don't want anybody to get the idea that I'm saying that. I'm, I'm saying no matter what your goal is, if you say I want to make a million dollars, instead of saying, man, what can I do that a million people are going to buy? Like instead of going with that mentality, you say, you know, what service can I provide that a million people would see at least a dollar worth of value, right? Just on a business standpoint, I mean, the the greatest business endeavors come from how can I solve this problem for either myself or the people around me? Man. And then, you know, you know what I mean? If you can have that instead of how can I have enough money to go to the club tonight? How can I have enough money to get those rims? Like when, you when, you, I mean? when you serve other people, there's there's no doubt about it that that whatever you believe in God or the universe, it buckles for you. Like not even buckles like it's weak, but it, it literally opens up the gates for it because it's like you understand now. And, and, and that's the thing about it is once you get into that mindset, I had a brilliant marketing teacher that I, I talk about. Um, Dennis Morgan in his book. And, and one thing that he kept telling me was that, you know, money is not the root of all evil. It's a magnifying glass to who we really are. That was something that just stuck with me. Another thing that stuck with me was that he told us in the very beginning of the class, he said, if you do not feel like the product that you are building can genuinely help people get out of business, because those are the businesses, you know, when they say like those 90 something percent of businesses fail because 90 percent of people are out here trying to make a dollar are out here and, and, and they have the wrong and they have the wrong why the wrong intentions. This, if you if you focused on the, the quality, I don't care what business you're in, if you focused on how can my soup company bring quality like, how can I deliver? And it's funny because, you know, when I have the opportunity to meet some of the folks that work with ImageLine, I was told a story about just the value, right, of, of this guy that has a suit company in Toronto. He stays in business, even though other competitors have come across to him. And he's been in business for like, I guess, 40, 40 50 years. There's competitors that come that are like newer that, you know, could be that should have took him out of business, but he still is in business. Why is this? You can say, well, he has a loyal fan. You can say that. But the thing about it is the quality and the attention to detail that he pays. Like this man will literally fly out to Italy to provide authentic Italian fabrics, right? And they make you feel a certain way that it's that his craft is that important to him. And so his business still thrives to this day. And he may not be the, the most glamorous looking store on the block. Doesn't matter. He has that, 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 that customer base that comes to him and willing to pay his price because they know that that the care and the attention to detail that he puts into it and that he he's thinking customer first. How can I make a customer feel the most comfortable in a suit? And, and that story just blew me away because it was like I put a lot of that kind of care into anything that I touch, whether it's a book, whether it's an online course, like I have many on, online courses on my website, whatever it is, I put that attention to detail because I know that that represents me. And, and maybe it's a character flaw to someone other people because they're like, man, you got to get cooked and you got to do more things. I don't care. I have to make sure that everything I put out is of supreme quality because that means something to me. We're riding this this feels train, this deep train. I think we're going to stay on that for the last question. So my final question I have for you is, you know, looking at the totality of your life, what has been the hardest thing that you've went through? Could be music related, could not be music related. And how did you get over it? Or are you still going through it? It wasn't anything externally. Right. There's a lot of things that happen that are just a part of life. Right. They just they just happen. Right. Whether whether it's, um, you know, evictions, repossessions, breakups, anything that could possibly like those things are just part of the, the human experience that we sign up for, you know, involuntarily. We come here, you know, somebody brought us into this world, but we, we're here. 
we got to deal with those. You got to do it. It's it's not those are not the biggest battles, right? Because even when things happen, like when someone very close to you passes away, people come by the multitudes, right? To, to offer you condolences to, especially with the social media age, like people will come and give you thoughts and prayers and all that, that good stuff. But the, the inside game, the mental game, when everybody else is going to bed and I'm still up and, and, and I'm in my mind, right? The biggest hurdle has always been, you know, what's going on internally. And, and I'll tell you the way that I have been able to sort of reprogram that is first to understand that the things that I'm going through are not unique to just myself. When I understood that there have been people before me that have gone through 10 times worse and I found a way to not only come out of that situation, but to thrive in that, it gave me the 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 pathway. And then it helped me understand like people like David Goggins, who, you know, if you know about him, you know, he's, he's like one of the toughest human beings on 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 in the world. Right. And the stuff that he's going through and the insecurities that he's had, it it, it, it gives you a lot of 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 not want to just say inspiration because that only lasts for so long our motivation, um, but it, it, it lets you see that there's a path forward. So my biggest hurdle has been mentally in the way that I got through it was I had to reprogram myself. How do you reprogram yourself? You read literature, you read books, you read things, you you listen to videos, you replace the stuff that is not serving you anymore, whether it's music that is degrading to what your life is. Like there's a lot of music that I listen to at 17. I just won't listen to a 34. And somebody can say, well, that's just, you're just getting older. No, it's because I literally can't listen. And it's not even like, negative music like oh shoot my bang bang it's music that are like you know i'm broke right now some 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 not making no money i don't want to listen to that music anymore because it brings back thoughts uh, of scarcity and i don't want to have a scarce mindset so i had to replace that with things that fill me up right every morning i sit myself down like an animal and i say before you get on social media before you do anything sit your butt down and let me feed you that can be food it's always meditation it's always silence and I feed myself that before I start slouching around and, you know, not, not slouching, but going aimlessly through throughout the house and through studios and, and computers and all the apps and all. Before I do any of that, I got to sit myself down and realize that every single day is game day. And just like a football player gets themselves pumped up and primed, that is my responsibility to do that for myself every day. Right. And, and, and are there days that I miss? Yes, there have been days that I've missed, but I know that there's not going to be a successful amount of days in a row that it happens. So conquering the inside game comes down to reprogramming yourself and finding yourself some some literature that fills you instead of drains you. People, too. You got to find people that fill you up instead of drain you. Freaking amazing, man. Completely agree. I've been, I've struggled with depression, anxiety, man, my entire life. And everything that I've read, everything I've read, every counselor I've ever been to, every person I've ever talked to that's overcome what I've overcame is exactly what you're talking about, is that your mind has a tendency to just gather crap and it has a tendency to self-destruct and it has a tendency to tear yourself apart limb from limb if you allow it to. But if you can find that way, like you were saying, to go in there and it's not, it's not, you know, it's not a difficult thing. It's just little things that you do every day to replace, yeah. uh, to replace those thoughts, to replace those habits, to replace those feelings with the more beneficial things, your brain will react properly and it'll be like, oh my gosh, like this. Okay. never mind. I, you're right. You're right. I'm right. sorry. I was doing that. Why? I, I will never do that again. That was my bad. Yep. You know what I mean? <laughs> 
It's called the triad. Um, just once again, some more Tony Robbins information. This helped me out tremendously, but you literally can change your mental game. I know mental health is always a conversation that people talk about bringing up, but nobody really gets to the nitty gritty of it. And, and I know it's a very difficult thing for every individual, but triad, you can literally change any mood that you're in, any depression, anything, right? By making a change in three different places. One being on a physical level, right? What you do with your body, if you're always slouched over and your head is always down on the phone or whatever, no wonder you're sending signals to your brain that you're depressed, right? That's the first thing. Second thing is is the language that you're using, right? If you're using language that is constantly beating yourself down, well, you're sending that to your brain. There's certain words that trigger that response out of you. The third one is focus. What are you focusing on? Right. So if you're saying to yourself right now, I am so depressed, I'm so depressed. First of all, your language is, is, is contributing to that because you're not depressed. You, you know, it, there's a find another way to describe that. Second, your focus is only on how you're feeling. Just you're just just that. Right. What you're temporarily feeling. And third, physically, you're probably doing something that doesn't contribute to you feeling any other way. So if you did something, something ridiculous, but there was a study one time where they took some of the most depressed people uh, in a certain county and they basically had them come in for a study where all they did was sit in front of a mirror and um, smile for 25 minutes. Right. There are certain people who were so depressed. They said that they were depressed even when they were asleep, which is amazing. The study basically had them smile for 25 minutes in front of a mirror. And none of them could bring up depressing thoughts in their mind. It was impossible. So do the same thing. Go to, go to a corner of your room, look into the top, top corner of your room, put your hands on your hips and, and look like Superman and try to make yourself feel depressing thoughts. It is impossible because of how you physically move your body, right? What you're focusing on and then also your language. Thank you so much for coming on the show. <laughs> Thank Did you, you have a good time? Absolutely, man. Thank. These are very unique questions that I don't think a lot of them I've never been asked before, and I'm I'm always here for that. But uh, thank you so much for uh, for for inviting me on. This was amazing. Hey, Don Nation. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Behind the Dot with Curtis King. I just want to remind you that if you are interested in the Patreon or getting private lessons or suggesting someone to come on the show or just getting in contact with me in general, there are links down in the description. Also, if you like this episode, please like, comment, subscribe repost whatever is appropriate on the particular platform that you're listening on like itunes spotify google play deezer soundcloud youtube wherever you're at just helps us know that what we're doing is moving in the direction that you need us to and finally i would highly encourage you to check out the last episode of behind the Daw with note taker we talk about knowing when to say no to certain opportunities what kills creativity and a step-by-step process of how to create a story within a song there's a link down in the description for that episode but Daw nation let's listen to our final sponsorship for the this week. Daw Nation, do you struggle with getting your music heard? Does it feel like no one is receptive? No one cares? No one is reacting in the way that you thought they would? Maybe it's even leading you to feeling like you're wasting your time and you feel like you should just give up on music. Daw Nation, there is no reason for you to keep feeling this way. 100% of us have a tool that is constantly at our disposal, which can not only put our music out to a huge amount of people, but it can put it out to the right people. Do you know what that tool is? It's social media. Never before in the history of making music have we ever had a tool like this. A tool that can connect your music to the right people virtually anywhere in the world within seconds. But the sad truth is, virtually no one knows how to use it. But if you're interested in utilizing the beast of a tool, which is known as social media, then I would highly encourage you in scheduling a social media marketing consultation with me. My consultation credits include Henry Fong, Kara, Culprit, AU5, Pegboard Nerds, Clockvice, Forso, Copycat, and the list keeps 
growing. Right now, I'm running a 25% off discount of my social media marketing consultations, but it is a limited time offer. It's not going to last long. So head on over to inthedaw.net, click the private lessons tab, and select a social media marketing consultation. Again, head over to inthedaw.net, click on the private lessons tab, select the social media marketing consultation, and you'll be on your way to getting your music out to the right people. Daw Nation, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind the Daw, and we'll catch you next week.